0: Welcome everybody to episode three of Blue Jays Bites. This is White and Blue Review's uh, weekly podcast. Uh, I am Bryant Ott. I write as Creighton Otter on the site. And joining me tonight is Matt DeMoranis. He writes as Matt DeMoranis on the site. And he's been writing a lot for us these last couple years. Matt is our go-to guy on the hilltop for speaking with coaches, players, catching all of the Creighton Blue Jays action and bringing all that information, all those nuggets of goodness straight to you, our diehard Blue Jays fans. Matt, welcome to the show again. I appreciate you joining me tonight. Always a pleasure, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. I feel like we've got some technical issues hashed out here and we can really launch into what will certainly promise to be our best episode yet, not only because you can hear me and I can hear you, (laughs) but also because we've got three heavy hitters uh, worth of interviews on tonight. Um, we got Coach Greg McDermott of the men's basketball program. We have Head Coach Elmar Bolovich of the men's soccer program. And lastly, we have Kirsten Bernthal Booth, the woman in charge of the number 22 ranked Creighton women's volleyball team. Uh, all three of those coaches you were able to sit down with this week at one time or the other. Bolovich and Booth obviously taking their teams on the road for opportunistic chances for some solid non conference wins in their seasons. But we'll get to those two later, Matt. I want to get your impressions before we play the Coach Mack interview. You were down on campus during skill workouts this week on Tuesday, and you got to talk with him a little bit about what he was seeing from some of his players that are back on campus, school started, what's that atmosphere like now at the championship center when you're down there on Tuesday? Uh,
1: I think uh, for the most part it seems you know kind of energetic, if I can, I think that's a good word for it, everybody seems to be really excited to be back, and, um, back in the fold, back playing basketball, getting ready for the season that they, um, a season that they think is going to be a big one. You know, Maurice Watson Jr. flirted with uh, the NBA a little bit, kind of got some evaluations. He's excited to be back. Um, some other guys, Marcus Foster's back after, I think he took some time off, and he's back in the mix. Kyrie Thomas and Justin Patton didn't take any time off. I think you know, they just kind of stayed in Omaha, worked on their games, and you can really tell with those two players, too, because they look a lot better Um this year i guess one year you know one year to the date compared to when they stepped on campus last sure. year so they've been working on their games a lot in the offseason and you can really tell they're in good shape um their games are expanded a little bit as you'd expect from one year to the next and um you know other than that they're just trying to get some bodies healthy obviously we've documented some of those things there's a you know, new story on Martin Crample up on the site, WBR, and Blue Uh, He was just cleared by the doctor, given a full green light on Tuesday afternoon and uh, from his torn ACL that was surgically repaired on December 28th. So he was given a full green light, and the minute he got back to the championship center, he jumped right into his individual skill workout, went through that. It was a contact drill at some point, so he was excited to you know, put, get through it. Mix and, it up, uh, for sure. And then he went through another one today. So he's, you know, he's a full go back in the mix. Um, I think right now the only limitation on him is uh, maybe some of those open gyms. He won't be a full go in those open gyms. He'll play um, a couple games, then uh, take a breather for a couple, then play a little bit, a little bit more. Okay. Just to kind of go, you don't want to, the thing they're trying to monitor right now is to make sure they're not overdoing him when he gets fatigued, sure. um, which will lead to, you know, re-injury and things like that. They're just trying to um, take baby steps, even though he has been given a full full clearance from the doctor.
0: I mean, let's be honest. I read that article this morning that you posted, and, you know, I'm kind of a, I've got like a sportsman crush on all this stuff, right? And the championship center for any of our listeners that haven't had the opportunity to walk through there, have a tour through there. I mean, it is a palace for strength, conditioning, fitness, and I mean, some of the information in your story about him adding the muscle weight, him being able to add to his vertical jump, his lateral quickness. I mean, just as a fan, that gets me excited because you see that building paying off. Now, I'm sure they could have Done some Nate Funk type stuff in the Vernardi Center or whatever Nate did to get his body changed and what Anthony Tolliver did to change his physique. Oh. But talk a little bit about that when you see a guy like Justin Patton now compared to what you saw last year with a full year of the Championship Center under his belt, or a guy like Martin coming back from a pretty serious injury and mm-hmm. physically just looking and acting and feeling the way he does. How much of a testament is that to Dan? Dan Bailey and his staff, the building itself, and just what they're doing right down there.
1: Uh, Yeah, it certainly is a testament to Dan, because he's, you know, he was constantly around these guys and pushing them. Uh, ben McNair as well, when um, the head athletic trainer, when they're hurt and banged up, getting them fresh, but you know, even when you talk to those guys, they'll admit, you know, it's really the athletes that deserve the credit in that regard for the work they put in. Um, there's only so much you can do to to make them better, uh, obviously they had everything at their disposal. So the excuses really fly out the window. It's all about the time you want to put in. And, you know, when you look at a guy like Justin Patton and you see some of the things, the improvements that he's made, he's improved across the board in strength, speed, uh, you know, his vertical jump, everything is, is improved across the board. Um, and Martine, even with his injury, improved across the board in the areas that he could improve in obviously they didn't they didn't test his lateral quickness because he has you know he's recovered from a torn ACL so that's right. not something they, that's not something they could test him on sure. but uh, you know all the other things that he could do he did improve in quite significantly and um, to a man asking you know talking to Ben talking to Bailey um, talking to really players coaches anybody they'll all say the same thing about Martini, he's just a tireless worker. Uh, and he put in a lot of time in the weight room, a lot of time in the championship center, um, gym the Kyle Corver court, if you will. Sure. Uh, just working on, working on what he could work on despite being, you know, hampered a little bit. So, um, yeah, they'll all give full credit to the player on the improvements they've made. And I think the three that really look like they made the most of their off season, um, or the most of their downtime in the championship center when they weren't playing games were Martin, Kyrie, Thomas, and Justin Patton. They all look, they all look as close to game ready from a fitness standpoint as uh, as really anybody on the team,
0: which is going to be important, right? Because Mac is going to push the tempo. We've heard that a couple <coughs> of different times, and. Um... I'm sure it'll bear out a certain way once the season gets started. But to push the tempo, you need bodies, and you need bodies that are healthy, ready to go. Certainly, guys that can play once you're out there, too. Um, and so, a lot of that is yet to be seen in real time with Martin getting a limited amount of time last year before the injury, Justin not playing at all. Kyrie mm-hmm. obviously proved himself capable, he had a rough stretch there in the second half of the season. But uh, it's going to be valuable to have those guys ready to go and fit because they're going to be called on, right, to push this tempo, push this pace, and and try to make up for some of the injured low post players and change a little bit of what they plan to do, I think, um, at least on offense. But why listen to us talk about it when you can have Coach Mack – in his own words, discuss kind of where things are at right now. Uh, Matt, I think um, we're going to go ahead and play that interview, and then we'll listen along with uh, all of our listeners at home, and then we'll just kind of touch on a couple of the finer points uh, that you found to be most interesting when we're done with the interview.
2: Yeah, it's good to, good to have everybody back on campus. We can gradually get everybody healthy and get everyone back on the floor, but uh, I think we're moving that direction. Uh, jumping into that, Martin, uh, doctor today, did you hear anything about uh, that? know, I think we'll. I'm hopeful we'll get good news. His, his strength is certainly good. You know, probably. You know, the strength, in his, I think, in both legs are, is actually better than when he first got here. So coming off a of surgery, that's, that's hard to believe. But he's worked really hard to develop that strength, uh, not only in, in his, the knee that he, he had operated on, but in the other leg as well. What do you, I guess, what do you know about Zach as of today that um, I think he has a doctor tomorrow, I guess? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think three months is the best-case scenario given the surgery that he had. Um, I think it feels good, and I think it's on. uh, I think it's on pace uh, that they would like from a recovery standpoint. Uh, But uh, he's hoping to get rid of the crutches. I think uh, this week, and uh, and then I think we could ramp up a little bit of the rehab after that. Going off of that, from a more team perspective, being that he's close to ready to return here, does he have an opportunity in front of him uh, as far as a chance to prove himself in that front court area? The coaches well, prepared. he was going to have that anyway. But with, with Zach out, certainly the uh, the opportunity really will present itself for him. Uh, but you know, we'll we'll take a look at Toby there if we have to as well. And, uh, and certainly Justin is going to be relied upon uh, there as well. So. Um, you know, and again part of that will depend on how quick we get Cole back on the practice floor I, I'm guessing we're probably three weeks out on him uh, but I'm hopeful that by the start of the practice uh, I don't know that he'll ever be full go uh, throughout the season I think it could be a situation where he's practicing a couple times a week uh, and that might be it but uh, well it's worked, it worked well for him at the end of last year but the, the difference in last year when it happened he was already in shape this year he's coming off really being and inactive for five or six months, so uh, it'll be a challenge to get him in condition so that he, uh, so that his wind is good, uh, and then try to maximize what he can do on the practice floor, even if it's for a few days a week. Was it, I guess, performances that he had on the court in games late in the season, dealing with
1: the injury? Did uh, I guess everybody involved, coaches, him,
2: trainers, kind of figure out a good method of how to make him most effective dealing the that? Well, I mean, the best way to do it was in activity. You know, he, he would practice one day a week, and it would be a short practice. Uh, so he really had to pay attention to what was going on uh, from a film standpoint and through a, from a walkthrough standpoint. He, he asked questions in the shoot-around, and, uh, and we managed the injury as best that we could. And, and it's really amazing when you think about the severity of what he was dealing with that he was able to perform at the level that he was able to perform at. Uh, Given what he was dealing with from a pain and swelling standpoint. So uh, I think he showed his uh his medal from a toughness standpoint last year, and uh, you know, because he's been through it, hopefully he can handle it again this season. What have you seen out of Justin uh, staying in the front court
1: during the offseason? Obviously he and Kyrie kinda of had to run this place and, uh, while everybody was back
2: home. And, uh, I guess year to year from this point last year, what do you think about his recognition? to well, wasn't ready last year. It wasn't even close. Um, and, you know, his body's better. Uh, he's stronger. Uh, because of that, I think he's a little bit more confident. Uh, but there's going to be peaks and valleys. He's just turned 19 years old this summer. and uh, He's still a young player, and he's, he's got to learn to compete uh, every possession. And we're closer to that now than we've ever been at any point in his career. Uh, but if you want to be successful at this level, you got to do it every possession. And uh, that's something that he's going to have to learn, but he's he certainly he's put in the time this summer, him and him and Taz have been in this gym a lot. Do you like those jump shots he's taking or do you? No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm frankly surprised when he shoots a 17-footer if it doesn't go in. Uh, he spent a lot of time on it and worked extremely hard at it and, uh, you know, how, whether we can stretch that to the three-point line consistently um, you know that that will be to, the truth will be told there in time. Uh, whether he can do it in practice on a daily basis, so. Uh, but I, I don't I don't think there's any question. At some point in his career, that's going to be a, a, an important part of his arsenal. Just a couple on Kyrie and let me get out of here. Uh, this might be a little over
1: dramatic, but it's kind of in that category of a coaching community that you know he
2: comes in in shape, ready to go, approaches these drills like they are, kind of game it. You know. Taz's approach has always been good. I think it's, he's taken it to another level uh, in the offseason. And, you know, I talked last year about the importance of the NIT and why that was valuable. And if you want to point to one reason why, it, it's him. You know, he, he, he entered the offseason workouts with so much more confidence and was much hungrier because of the success he had in the NIT. And uh, you watch him play now, and his ball handling's better. He's stronger. Uh, he's more confident. He's shooting at a high level, and he's always been an effective defense defensive player, so I'm expecting big things from him. I I, I don't see any reason he can't be one of the more improved players in our league. He talked about, right at the beginning of the summer league, that he was going through a lot of ballroom and drills with
1: the coaching staff and the time he had with them. Why is is that going to be important for where he's going to be on the court? You know, the kind of role that he expected to play, not only –
2: the quote-unquote defensive stopper but riding the offense as well. Well, you know, last year he was in a a situation where he was spacing more than involved in ball screens and I think his ball handling has improved to the point where we can use him some in ball screens where he can take it off the rim and lead the break Uh, and we can throw it ahead to him and and he's he's gotten better at getting to the rim and finishing once he gets there. So, you know, he he just he didn't just work on his ball handling. His body's better, his shot's better. Uh, He's really worked on becoming more of a complete player. And, uh, I'm really proud of him, and hopefully he can continue to build momentum as we get closer to the start of the season.
0: All right, great interview by Matt DeMarinos with Coach Greg McDermott of the Creighton Men's Basketball Program. Matt, obviously you guys spent a lot of time talking about Martine, talking about Justin, touched on Zach's injury a little bit. Sounds like it'll be a few months before he's able to contribute on the uh, – on the, in the real games, but um, you were down there with Skills Day, and it's Skills Day for the guards. I know it's not exactly what you talked about with Coach Mack. You touched on it a little bit with Kyrie. Um, what was what was the atmosphere like? What were the workouts like for the Watsons, the Marcus Fosters, and those guards, the Isaiah Zierdens coming back from injury? Can you maybe set the stage for those of us that can't get down there on a regular basis?
1: Sure. Uh, it's it's I guess it looks they look pretty focused. I guess it's uh, they're not. Um, it's not always a contact drill. Some of them are ball handling drills, just going around the cones and things like that. Going through um, dummies and finishing through contact and that sort of thing. And then there's been a lot of work on uh, kind of going around ball screens for the bigs, defending ball screens. Um, for some of the guards defending, kind of getting through those ball screens, ball screens, and staying in front of their man, just things like that. Um, you know, just kind of getting their fundamentals down, working on their their closeout defense that they always run. Um, just fine tuning some of the fundamental things that they do in practice every day, so that way when practices do get started, you know, all that stuff is just muscle memory, and they don't really have to coach it up anymore, and they can just focus on. You know, getting the playbook implemented and working on defensive schemes for specific opponents and things like that. So that's really what the main focus of the skill workouts uh, is designed to um, bring out. As far as uh, some of the guards, I, I think Maurice came in in pretty good shape. Uh, you can tell he's put in a lot of work during the off season. He looks um, he looks healthy. He looks fast. He looks strong. He looks ready to go. Um, some of the other guards, uh, are still a little bit out of shape, I guess, if you want to call it off season shape, if you will, to be fair to them, I guess. Um, uh, to
0: be fair, they are like exponentially in more shape than you or me or yes. anybody else that we oh. know. Right. Okay. Let's,
1: let's be very, let's, let's be very clear about that. <laughs> <laughs> they are in much better shape than you or I, Yeah, right. uh, aren't, let's not armchair quarterback that too much, but yeah, <laughs> they're not game ready if you will. Right. Uh, so they'll they'll get there though, they're full you know, it's not like any you know, not like of put on thirty pounds of, you know, Chinese buffet food or something like no, that. No Jackie
0: know. Moons rolling around the uh championship no. center. Okay.
1: No, there's no no eye opening. Oh my god, this All guy's right. so uh they're they're getting you know, getting back into the swing of things for the most part. I think one if since Mac talked about Kyrie um, being a standout that he mentioned, one we didn't talk about who I saw who I got to see in the skill workout today and uh, also on Tuesday, who I think is pretty impressive from a college, from a college ready to play standpoint is looking like Davion Mintz. Um,
0: Yeah. I saw your tweet about that earlier today. Um, Yeah. Explain that a little bit more. What's he look like out there?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I'll caution everybody. First of all, I've seen a lot of players in a lot of sports look incredible without anybody defending them. So they're, There's my caveat, Uh, but yeah, he went kind of right behind Maurice Watson in the drills as far as their lines go. He was second behind Watson, so I kind of got to see Maurice do it and then Davion do it immediately after, so there was a good kind of, um, you know, a point of reference for me comparison-wise, and it didn't look like there was much of a difference in ball handling ability, finishing ability. Um, Davion has a really good jumper from straight away. It's pretty consistent. He knocks it down uh, at a high rate, which was impressive because that drill, there's really a lot of work to be done before you even get to the point where you shoot a jumper. So, you know, at the point where you're even trying to score, you're kind of dealing with the fatigue a little bit, which is not something a freshman coming out of high school is always ready to perform at this level. But Davion looks, um, he looks the part skill wise obviously there's a lot of challenges ahead of him as far as learning the schemes, learning the system, learning to be in the right places. That'll dictate his playing time. But from all indications, just uh, chatting with coaches, you know, off to the side, it sounds like they think he is a, he is, he has a college ready body and that he has college ready skills that, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he were um, playing some meaningful minutes, uh, you know, at some point during the season, whether it's late, early, or, you know, throughout.
0: Well, let's, you know, let's be honest, we think about the upper echelon teams in the Big East, obviously that's where Creighton's striving to be, and those teams, Xavier, Villanova, those schools, when they bring freshmen in, you get a Jalen Brunson comes in, I know Jalen was a top five national five-star recruit, but he comes in, he has to bide some time, obviously with Archie there, but he contributes and the guys at Xavier I mean you're talking about Edmund Sumners they're coming in they're contributing and uh, I know Justin sat last year Justin Patton sat last year as Max said on on your interview he was nowhere near ready that's the right call but when you start bringing in these kids that physically have some tools and you know you're talking about they they're looking the part when they're going up right after a second team all big east performer and arguably a preseason all first team, all Big East performer. I mean, these guys got to see the floor at some point, right? And uh, is that is that what you'll be looking for as things shift from these skills workouts into more meaningful practices? Is that what you have your eye on, or what are your biggest takeaways as you get ready to watch this team practice up to that um, November fourth exhibition?
1: Yeah, the thing. I mean, the thing you always watch with the young kids is, you know, how they handle. Because with the college game, there's a lot of talking, a lot of communication. There's not so much. In high school, you can kind of get away with being lazy on defense or kind of hunting passing lanes to get some steals and some breakaways and things like that. But in the college game, the communication is huge, and that's a part of it. Not all freshmen come in confident. You know, not only knowing to be assertive with your communication, but what to say, where to be. How to defend this certain action, that sort of thing. That's a big challenge. It's a big step. You know, we all, to a person watching their pre-Italy workouts, um, loved Martin and Kyrie Thomas. Not a single there wasn't a single person who left that gym thinking, "Wow, these guys aren't impact players." They were. They looked like they were ready to go. And then once, <laughs> and then once the fall workouts hit, you see that there's quite a step that still needs to be made you know, from that high school or amateur level to the college game, sure. being ready to contribute. So there is a jump that needs to be made there, and that's kind of what holds certain players back. So the thing you watch with Davion is obviously he has a lot of skills in individual workouts, which aren't even close to five-on-five. Five. There's no defensive scheme, offensive scheme going on. And then you watch him in the ball screen drills that they did, and you can see he's there's a lot of learning to be done there was a lot of coaching going on. There was a lot of questions being asked. There was a lot of frustration of doing it wrong a few times. So that's going to be the the big hurdle to clear as far as getting on the floor and playing meaningful minutes because you're not going to be trusted in a in a important situation in a game. You know, if you don't know how to defend a ball screen action, or if you don't know where to be on the floor, how to cover your guy in a um you know in a help situation. So that's the thing we watch for or I'll be watching for and everybody should watch for in practices and exhibitions and chances when you get to see them play is how they are in those situations, not necessarily what their shooting percentage or assist numbers look like.
0: Sure. I think that's a really good thing to consider as all Creighton basketball fans, the next big milestone, hopefully sometime in the next week or so Big East schedule will come out. People start licking their chops for when Nova comes to town, when the Blue Jays head out to New York City and some of those other kind of circle on the calendar dates. But I uh, really appreciate you getting down there, talking to Mac, watching the players, and am excited just to have you be down there for White and Blue Review, um, kind of our eyes on the court and keeping tabs on a team that obviously has high expectations for this coming season. And with that, we're going to segue um, into under discussion with Coach Elmar Volovich, Creighton men's soccer head coach. The Blue Jays opened up last weekend, the regular season, with a daunting road game at Rutgers, nationally ranked Rutgers, but in, I guess, typical Blue Jays fashion, always starting the season off strong. They posted a 2-0 win against the Scarlet Knights. Uh, came home, had San Francisco waiting for them. San Francisco had been in town. Played here locally uh, before the Jays came back and waited it out. And just as their game was getting ready to start Monday night, big lightning storm, rain starts falling, yada, yada, yada. Elmar and the Blue Jays ended up losing that game um, to weather. Not going to play, not going to postpone it, just canceled. And you had a chance to sit down with Coach Bolovich now. Without that extra game in between the road game at Rutgers and where they head this weekend, which is to number two Clemson Friday night. Can you Before we start the interview, Matt, just kind of give us a lay of the land down at Morrison Stadium surrounding the cancellation of the game. What Bolovich thought that might help or hurt his team as they've obviously um, got a really difficult challenge Friday night in South Carolina.
1: Yeah, I don't think uh, Elmar will ever argue with an extra time to rest. So, right. from my my experience with him, you know, I think he obviously wanted to play that game, but I don't think he's going to, you know, he's not losing sleep over having more time to rest his players and get ready for this big match that they have um, against 2nd rank Clemson on Friday. Yeah. Uh, he was really pleased with the, the performance at Rutgers and he went into it and you'll hear him talk about this, that he went into it kind of unsure about what to expect out of his group from a performance standpoint, because frankly they didn't perform very well in the, in the exhibition season at all. Uh, even despite beating Missouri state and, you know, putting up a clean sheet, they did not play well in that match at all in any phase of the game whatsoever. And, uh, And then the Wisconsin match obviously didn't go much better. And actually, the result they got the result they deserved in the Missouri State match. So going into Rutgers, you know, I I think the exhibition season kind of woke them up a little bit as far as, look, we know we're talented, but that's not enough. You know, you still have to, your mentality has to be a certain way. You have to play much better as a unit, you know, connecting the defense to the midfield, to the attacking side of the, pitch, so those were all things that he was concerned about going into Rutgers, um, but from the very start of the match, those you know, Creighton was kind of locked in and ready to, you know, put that in the rearview mirror, so and they end up, you know, out shooting Rutgers in a match that seemed pretty chippy from just based on um, you know, our takeaways from it, how we could follow it, but you know, Creighton's no stranger to having teams be physical with them, so right. they survived it and then they come back here, you know. They got some. I think they got some bodies healthy now. They had a few nicks, a few illnesses, but uh, it sounds like they'll be at full strength um, for the most part against Clemson, which is going to be is going to be a really, real big challenge for them, especially early in the season. They're you know, sometimes, sometimes these rankings kind of just flip from the way the year left off previous. Sure. Though so obviously, Clemson was the runner-up last year. So, you know, you wonder, are they slotted in that spot because they're legit or because that's where they finished last year and we really don't know what they have. But Clemson, from all indications, has a, a very legit team this year, very talented squad. Um, they've already beaten, I think they beat Coastal Carolina, who was in the top 25, and they beat fellow Big East foe Providence. Um, and Elmar said from You know, his experience coaching there when he was at North Carolina, that he expects a huge crowd on Friday night. Obviously, Creighton's a top-ten team as well, so he was thinking somewhere in the ballpark of 5,000 people in the stands, which is obviously, you know, you think about some Morrison Stadium crowds that have been pretty incredible atmospheres, and uh, Creighton's going to have double that atmosphere on Friday, so... It should be a really a good test, and and if you ever wonder, you know how Elmar feels about these type of challenges. He, you know, he loves to see how his team responds to playing the best of the best in situations that don't necessarily favor them, because he really wants to see what his team is kind of made of. Because frankly, they're not playing for national championships in Morrison Stadium, so yeah, they want college cups, they want titles, they don't make any, you know, the bar that is their bar. They they're not afraid to set it there. They're not afraid to go after it, so this match, I think, is one that really excites him, and probably in my time covering him, I think it's the one that has probably excited him the most as far as certainly a regular season match, and certainly this early in the season.
0: Well, let's get right into it. Let's see how, or I guess listen to how excited Elmar Bolovich is talking about his Blue Jays traveling to take on the number two Clemson Tigers Friday night.
1: Obviously the exhibition season kind of opened you guys' sides as far as the things you needed to work on. What improvements were made in the time between the Wisconsin Friendly and the Rutgers match? Yeah, well,
3: first off, uh, you always got
1: to assess the, the situation. We,
3: we knew we had talent on the team, mm-hmm. and we knew we could have a good team. But that's all, uh, always you know, a question mark. Uh, the, the team still has to prove itself. And in pre-season we were all over the line, you know, we, we had no cohesion, we were bad defensively, we were terrible offensively, our midfield was overrun like Swiss cheese, and so we were missing everything in all parts of the game. And there was a big challenge going into a game like Rutgers, because if you're playing like that, at their place, you're gonna lose. And, you know, give the guys credit, I mean, they they came to play and we played as a team and that was great to see you know there was not the game was not decided necessarily by individual effort it was decided by players covering for one another and Mm -hmm. playing their part playing their role and and trying to play up to our standard what we expect from them and and what they themselves expect from
1: from reunion Were you in any way, maybe pleasantly Were you going into the Rutgers match still a bit unsure? Or yeah, were of you course. Pleasantly surprised of to course,
3: see? because at that moment, you know, you haven't not had a good game. Yeah. You still don't know, you know, when will it happen? Will they still go through the motions? Will we still be all over the place and, you know, dis- disjointed, not connected to one another and, and all that stuff? So you, I didn't have the answer to that. You know, I had to see how the game was. Of course, it was, um, you know, interesting to see then how from the get-go, from from the first minute, you know, how we started taking control of that game.
1: Lucas Stauffer gets the PK game winner, gets named Defensive Player of the Week. Obviously, he's been a really important piece for you throughout the years here. I guess, what does he bring into this group this year now, more of a with, I guess, less veterans on the team and more leadership role for himself?
3: Yeah, I think he takes that on as, as being a uh, leader by example. Um, in my opinion, he's one of the better left backs in the country. Sure. And he certainly has earned that recognition. Uh, he played superb against uh, Rutgers because their right winger was really their best player. Okay. I mean, there was a pro prospect, in my opinion. He's a Jamaican kid. And uh, so Stauffer had his hands full. You know, you didn't see him as active on the offense because that guy tied him tied him up a little bit. Uh, But nevertheless, he he didn't break. You know, he played flawlessly. He kept his composure. He was very good defensively. So for him also, for his level of confidence to want to be the leader uh, or a leader, you know, amongst our upperclassmen, it was certainly important. And, you know,
1: it, it showed him, yeah, you know, I belong. There's a huge match coming up on Friday at Clemson. They've already beaten Coastal Carolina. They already took out Providence. What have you seen out of them, if at all, on film that you think will challenge your group this early in season? Well, there's a reason why they're
3: so high up and why they were last year the national runner-up. They have a lot of returning players. They have a lot of individual talent. Uh, Some kids very special, you know, pro prospects in the future. Uh, Very balanced team. Uh, Difficult place to play at Clemson. I know that from my Carolina days. Okay. And so it's going to be a heck of an atmosphere. I would expect in the vicinity of 5,000 people to be at that game. And uh, for us, uh, just a great match to look forward to. Um, I I think more pressure in in that regard will be on Clemson um, to have to win their home game because they have also a very difficult ACC schedule ahead of them. Uh, for us, it will be another benchmark to see do we belong. You know, what kind of strides did we make or how far off are we still in the process. So for me personally, these are the games that I really, really love to play. Uh, I'm really looking forward
1: to it. Uh, how are you guys doing health-wise? I know Ricky didn't make the trip to New Jersey. Is he going to be on the travel roster for Clemson? Or... Ricky? Yeah. Yeah, Ricky will go with us.
3: Yeah, he, he's now cleared uh, with his knee a um, few knacks Mitch LeGros will keep him out today just so we have him for the weekend okay. um, Julius had a virus he was out for 48 hours um, just recuperating and he's back now training so yeah we should
1: be okay everything's okay? Uh, Monday's match um, UNO obviously a match that around here a lot of people have wanted to see for a while how did it come together first of all and how excited are you to kind of get a little, you know, crosstown rivalry going here at Morrison Stadium?
3: Well, it will be interesting to see what will that game bring, you know, what will it bring to the community, what will it bring to the two programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think both of us were looking forward to eventually maybe start something like that. Um, it, it can go one way or the other. It, it, it can be a slugfest, which is certainly something that we don't want and sure. probably UNO doesn't want. Um, or it can be a clean, competitive game with tons of fans really enjoying the soccer part of it and then cheering for their side, you know, wherever they want to cheer for. So it, w- it could be a spectable, spectable, uh, spectacle in uh, uh, Omaha for the Division I soccer programs. Um, or it could be just, you know, survival of the fittest, so to speak. Um, you know, I hope for the first and in that we make it a real good game, clean game, uh, where the two teams complete, compete, sportsmanship, everything, because we have a tremendous respect for them, and hopefully then we can continue that series if it turns out to be a, a positive for both of us. In the past, the reason why we haven't played them was because they were not postseason eligible, mm-hmm. so there was always that risk that their RPI could plummet, and then we would be affected by that negatively, and now they are postseason eligible and in the Summit League they have a good chance actually of winning their conference and they play top teams in the country in Stanford and Cal Berkeley and Connecticut Mm -hmm. and and now us so their RPI will be fine you know we we have no worries with with uh, UNO because I think in in RPI kind of thinking terms um, you wouldn't have to worry as much per se as the San Francisco.
0: So there you have it. Elmar Bolovich talking a lot about the Clemson Tigers top five team road test for his Blue Jays this Friday. But he segues Matt into something that I've been really interested in just because, um, you know, Jason Mims being an assistant at Creighton, now being the head coach at Nebraska Omaha, Tim Walters, Creighton grad, being one of Jason's assistants for the Mavericks. It's a big opportunity for Omaha Community Soccer to have both these Division One teams on the best pitch in the Midwest, playing on a Monday night, holiday night. Um, should get plenty of action, plenty of chippiness right out there between a lot of guys on the UNO side and the Creighton side that grew up around here, have connections to the program. I mean, what's that? What, what's the sense you get from Elmar there, aside from what he told you on the record, um, about kind of what they're looking for in that matchup uh, against UNO. Um,
1: well, he's been pretty consistent about what he expects out of this match, and he, you know, pretty much stated it on the record. That's the way he, you know, that's he likes to play clean soccer. He doesn't like to do. He doesn't like all that physicality, all that chippiness, and that just goes into the style of play he coaches. And any team that really comes onto the pitch and plays that way, you can see that there's been some. You know some of those matches you watch the St. John's match from, and yeah. you know, <laughs> just going back there, you know, he there's a certain style of soccer he likes to play, and um, he's hoping that for this series that uh, you know it's just a really good, clean soccer match um, that a lot of fans can get behind from both sides, and you know it can kind of grow into you know a, a premier rivalry, if you will, um, with Uno now being. You know, postseason eligible, transitioning to Division One in their sports, uh, you know, has a lot of potential,
0: yeah.
1: um, and I was interested to see, that's why I was really interested to see how Creighton played against San Francisco, to kind of get a gauge for um, what to expect out of this Creighton-UNO match, because, uh, you know, that San Francisco match that, you, that they played at UNO was, it was pretty competitive in the first half, I think it was 1-1 at halftime, and both teams had pretty good chances, but UNO started to just kind of assert themselves a little bit, and really started to take over and create more chances, and I think they ended up with a 3-1 win um, that night, and it just looked like, they, you know, they kind of, they have a lot of pieces, especially in the midfield, it looked like they played really well, so I was kind of curious to see how Creighton matched up with San Francisco for kind of a comparison's sake, but... Um, that didn't come to be, so I'm really curious to see this UNO Creighton matchup because I know they played in the spring. I think Creighton won two 0 nothing in the spring, mm-hmm. and uh, but I don't think UNO is coming into Morrison Stadium. You know, just uh, happy to be finally playing Creighton. I think they're coming in. Yeah. I think they're coming in, hoping to beat Creighton and kind of assert themselves as um, the team to beat around these parts. As you know, both athletic departments go back and forth with that whole. Omaha's team thing so sure. it, it should be a lot of fun um it'll be it'll have all the makings of a rivalry match and um you know if you see the if you watch the women's match there you know th- that's pretty chippy so while Elmar wants a pretty game um, I think the Vegas odds are that it's gonna be <laughs> that it's gonna be it's gonna have some chippiness involved yeah
0: I think you're right on there um, and Elmar is not the only Creighton coach who's taking a nationally ranked team on the road against uh, stiff competition. Kirsten Bernthal-Booth and the volleyball team, they went one-and-one one last weekend at the Iowa State Challenge. I know you talk a little bit with her on your interview about how that shook out the loss to Wichita State and then coming back and beating the host program Iowa State. But the Blue Jays head out to California for a big opportunity for marquee non-conference wins this weekend. They'll play Northern Iowa Friday night, and then play number 23 Kentucky and the host school, the USC Trojans, Saturday. Maybe just set the scene for the listeners, Matt, ahead of this interview that we're about to play when you had a chance to touch base with KBB.
1: Uh, well, I, I think the first thing we kind of touched on was her takeaways from uh, the weekend in Ames. I know going into that Iowa State match, uh. I didn't. I don't think I said this, but I was expecting them to lose. So I just don't. I just didn't think they were gonna. They're being recorded
0: right now. So I, I could come back and hear that. Just... I understand. That's okay. that's totally that's totally okay. Uh,
1: I just thought the way that they dropped the way that first of all the way they played against Wichita State wasn't clean, despite having a two zero lead and a chance to sweep Wichita State. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think they played up to the level that they certainly played um, last season. So I felt like there was still some kinks being worked out as far as new pieces coming into the back row. If you notice, Wichita State had a lot of success in the serve-receive game, and that's mainly. And then Creighton struggled in passing the staying in system, um, and that's mainly because of you know trying to plug those new pieces into the back row and trying to get some chemistry going there. Mm-hmm. So some of those concerns, um, along with wondering how they would kind of react. Uh, in situations where things aren't going their way, and when you watch the Wichita State match, it just kind of, you know, they got off to a slow. The the first set was kind of back and forth, and they took over midway through to win it. The second set they got down, I think, fifteen to six, I believe, or maybe twelve to six, and then fourteen to seven or something like that, and came back to win that one. So they were so they were playing with fire a little bit. And the third set, they got down 15-6 to six again. Another slow start. They ended up losing that one close. They actually came back and um, you know had a chance uh, in some of the late points, but they ended up losing that one. And They kind of regrouped for the fourth set a little bit. um, had a chance to put it away. I think they were up 23-21, and Wichita scored the final four points to force the fifth set, and then just buried Creighton in mm-hmm. that fifth set. So, I was really curious to see how they would come out, and I thought Iowa State you know, they had a day off on Saturday after sweeping Wichita State Friday night. Um, and they looked really good defensively uh, in the first set especially. Just They just dug everything Creighton put across the net. And it looked like, you know, and obviously they won that first set and it just looked like it wasn't going to be a very good day. But to their credit, they bounced back. They won game two and then just ran away with it kind of um, to salvage the weekend. So one of the things Booth mentioned as far as you know, how to get the most out of a weekend is maybe you won't, if you're not going to win the whole tournament that you're playing, or if you're not going to play well on both days, um, it's best to get, it's best to leave whichever city you're in. So you notice that they got, uh, you know, when they played in this tournament, they're about to play in now last year. Uh, they got embarrassed by Kentucky or by UNI and USC, but then came back, bounced back to beat, um, northern i or kentucky a top 10 team at the time to kind of get some momentum going for them so you'll notice she talks a lot about um you know how to build into practice coming off of a big win and carry that over into your next weekend's tournament so that's what kind of what they're building off right now despite blowing a, a 2 nothing lead which rarely happens under booth i think she's I think going into the Wichita State match she was one sixty seven and two, or Creighton was when they win the first two sets. So it was very rare to watch that happen. So um, but they you know they bounced back, they won. I think they're they have a lot of momentum right now as far as how they're feeling about themselves and what they figured out about themselves in situations where you know, how to put teams away and how to bounce back from when things aren't going their way. So and you know, when you lose a lot of leadership like they lost from this year, from last year to this year. That's a, a question that they, you know, they were curious to answer themselves. Okay.
0: And you obviously were able to get some questions in front of Coach Booth. We're going to go ahead and play your interview now, and then we'll follow back up after six-minute, 48-second piece with Coach Kirsten Bernthal-Booth of the Creighton Volleyball Program.
1: After the Iowa State match was coming into a week of practice, after a win, sometimes has a greater effect on energy and all that despite overall weekend performance Did that hold true
4: yeah i thought we've had a good week of practice we took well it's been two days of practice we were off monday um tuesday we did a lot of skill specific stuff so we didn't do team play we really locked it into some things that we thought we needed to get better at and then we did team play uh today and tomorrow uh it'll be a pretty light short practice before we catch a flight
1: Last year, I guess, um, you know, almost to a person, the favorite trip last year was going out to the West Coast to play that Sweet 16 match with USC. That's what the media guy tells me these things. Um, that
4: was the favorite trip? Yeah,
1: favorite trip of the season. So now you're going out West again. You get the Trojans on uh, Saturday, Kentucky, Northern Iowa. This tournament has really challenged you guys for the first two years of it. Well, What, you, what are you expecting going into year three?
4: You know, Unfortunately, we're not going to have any time to enjoy Cali- California, um, just the way that it plays out. we got a late game on Saturday, and then we fly out at, like, 5 a.m. on Sunday, so I don't think they'll get to uh, see much of California, unfortunately. Um, yeah, this has been a great tournament. Um, you know, four teams that uh, can all knock each other off, and we've kind of done that throughout the, the two years that we've had it thus far. Um, you know, uh USC is always kind of the perennial power. They they struggled some last weekend. Kentucky's playing really well. Uh, beat Purdue last weekend, and then you and I um, is an undersized team this year. But man, they, they ball handle like crazy, and they challenge hands. I mean, uh, I'm really impressed with them on film. So, uh, you know. I think we got a shot in all of them, and I think we could lose all of them, just like last weekend. Sure. So, you know, we're going to have to play great to have success.
1: When you kind of got down to sit down and slow it down and think about the things you did well last weekend, the things you didn't do well, the things that, you know, maybe are on that line, what were the takeaways from the two matches that you played that you thought, all right, here's what we can build on, here's you know, what we got to be better at?
4: I did not walk away saying that we were great at anything at this point. Um I also didn't think we were terrible. Uh, At anything, And sometimes you have, oh, we were really good blocking, but we were bad passing or something along those lines. I thought we were kind of okay at everything. You know, the challenge has been we've got to take a step forward in, in I think, really every aspect of our game, if it be Mm -hmm. offense efficiency, if it be blocking, if it be serve and pass. Uh, And like I said, I didn't think any of it was bad, but I think we have the capability to be better.
1: I think the last time we had you on the podcast, you uh, talked about – You think you know how people are going to react, but until you see the situation and see how they handle it, you're never really sure. Right. You know, dropping the last three to Wichita, losing the first one to Iowa State, what did you maybe learn isn't the right word, but what did you find out about the group you have this year and how they can respond to adversity on the fly?
4: Well, one of the things that we saw... I mean, I've had teams that if things are going well, being loosey-goosey is good. And uh, other teams that if they get loosey-goosey, they get too loosey-goosey and start to make errors. And I, I sure. saw that from them, I thought, at Wichita. I thought we felt comfortable after two games. We kind of relaxed. We kind of were joking around. And it led to um, some unclean play. Um and I thought in Iowa State we talked about like after winning game two to not be all happy-go-lucky. Because, again, I've had teams that are better that way. Sure. Um, but I feel like this team has learned that they've got to stay in game mode the entire time when you know good or bad they can't get too high they can't get too low they just need to stay intense and focused um so we talked about that throughout the Iowa State match because we started so slow against Wichita even some games that we won we got in holes so I was really pleased to see how well we started games against Iowa State because um you know you know you try to relate to the team that that point at 2-2 that you don't think's a big deal could could haunt you in a 26-24 game, sure. you know, so that each point is precious.
1: I guess the back row coming into the season was the one that maybe thought there was some rebuilding to be doing, done there. I guess from the first weekend, dealing with server sieve, dealing with having to dig out some, you know, in-system termination attempts, what did you think about how your back row performed in week one and maybe areas that... Can get better, can get cleaner as they move along the season?
4: Well, I think the good thing is we saw a lot of different people passing, you know, Um, and so we had a chance to evaluate things from a practice perspective but then also getting them into a game again I thought we were you know even statistically we were okay passing um, but we think we can be better I thought we faced some pretty good serving teams um, but I think we'll you know I think through the non-con all these high-level teams serving is is really something that they're going to go after and we need to be prepared for um, so you know I, I learned that we got to be better you know I think that's what I learned. Um, so, yeah.
1: Obviously, you're not new to having a new setter to start the year. Um, over the last few years, I guess were you, was that one of the things you were really impressed with? With the, was maybe the termination rate, the kill rate, or when you guys were in system when you were passing well, you know how well you were able to execute once it was pretty much bump set spike kind of thing.
4: I would say I wasn't. I wasn't surprised because I think I've seen that since the spring and the fall that we are really good if we can get into the what we call the well, so a good passing zone. Mm-hmm. We do t- terminate at a high rate just, just statistically. So um, I mean that's what we've talked to the team about. You know if we can get a good pass up a good dig, we feel like we have the, the hitters to put the ball down. So. Um, I did not think we hit a, a high enough clip overall. Uh, you know, I thought our hitting efficiency needed to be higher. Um, and so I think, you know, I do have an expectation. I think, you know, clearly Liddy is a great setter. We saw that this weekend, but we'd seen that all through the spring. Um, you know, I think offensive efficiency should be a strength of ours. And I think, you know, a goal of ours will be to bring, you know, we hit under 200 this week. I mean, all, all the teams, none of us hit at a high clip. It was, you know, as Ryan likes to say, it was a rock fight. You know, they were just, people were playing crazy defense. And, um, you know, it was the, who could stay in for the longest point to win.
0: There you have it, Coach Kirsten Bernthal-Booth talking with Matt DeMaranis about last Kirsten. week. Kirsten. Kirsten, Berth- Kirsten. Yep. Kirsten Kirsten Bernthal-Booth about. You want to uh, get her really mad, say Kirsten. No, I don't want to get anybody mad. Uh, 55 <laughs> minutes into this podcast, we can't have people getting pissed off, you know. Uh, yeah, Kirsten Berthal booth talking about last weekend's Iowa State Challenge, previewing a little bit about this week's USC Radisson Classic. Um, And actually, the Blue Jays, they'll be at home for the uh, regular season opener next weekend, next Thursday. So I'll be out of town. We'll have to figure out this whole weekly podcast thing uh, between the two of us, Matt. But Thursday, September 8th, 7 o'clock, Blue Jay Invitational starts a week from tonight against the Kansas Jayhawks, Chattanooga, and TCU also coming to town. So this uh, tournament right here this weekend against 2-1 and one Northern Iowa, nationally ranked 23 Kentucky, and then 0-3 uh, Southern Cal, really the, the last little, um, not little, last road trip here before the uh, volleyball program gets a little bit of home cooking with the Blue, Invi- Blue Jay Invitational. What was it from your discussion with Coach Booth that really stuck out to you um, whether it be about last weekend or looking forward to this one.
1: I actually think you, uh, you skipped a match there because they do, they actually have their home opener against uh, Kansas right before that tournament starts. Who was a final 14 last year, if you'll um, in Omaha, if you recall. So that's, yeah, a, that's, yeah, that's,
0: that's, that's a week from tonight. Uh, yeah. And they're kind of bracketed here on, on go Creighton's schedule as being part of that invitational. So, um. So, yeah, they'll play Thursday, Kansas, and then Chattanooga and TCU come to town uh, as well. So the Blue Jays will get Kansas Thursday, they'll get TCU Friday, and then Chattanooga Saturday. So three really good matches there.
1: Sorry, I have Kansas State on the brain because that's oh. who's playing tomorrow. So Yeah, exactly.
0: I'm all mixed up. That's fine. Just as long as Bill Snyder doesn't walk through these doors, we're going to be okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Kansas State – Coming to town tomorrow night to play soccer against Ross Pauly's team, but my question still stands. I feel like you might have been trying to avoid it. Who knows? Uh, but possibly. What What uh, What stuck out to you most from your conversation with Kirsten Booth about either last weekend or this weekend's opportunity out in California? Oh, I think
1: I think uh, nothing really. I guess surprising, but she was pretty honest about you know, where they're at at this point as far as development goes, um, you know, I think, but I think she has a group that will, is also pretty honest with themselves as well. You know, they don't really need to be coddled when they're not playing well and they don't also, you know, don't need to be over hyped when they are. So, you know, I think she just kind of, you know, kept it in a straight line as far as saying there's things to work on. But then again, as far as, you know, despite losing the way they did to Wichita State, Um, it wasn't, you know, as bad as it seemed going into the Iowa state match, there were things that, you know, because if you think, you know, if you try to keep some perspective about it, you know, they are a couple points away from sweeping Wichita state or finishing them off in four sets and feeling pretty good about themselves going into Sunday. So, um, you know, despite how that the result, there were things that to take away both positively, Um, and negatively but you know she kind of kept it just pretty straightforward about what they need to get better at and also kind of where she thinks the ceiling for this group is so um, just a pretty straightforward Kirsten Bernthal Booth interview
0: you're becoming expert and adept at collecting those conversations with her and I know that the growing fan base for Creighton Volleyball really appreciates all the time that you spend down at Sokol Arena talking with her as she builds this program into one of the nation's best. Um, you know, I think that we'll learn a lot about the Blue Jays this weekend as they're out in California. Uh, fans will have a chance Saturday night to watch the Blue Jays um, against USC on the Pac-12 network. That takes place at 10 p.m. Central time. And yeah, there's,
1: there's, there's actually a curveball with that. It's not going to be on the national Pac-12 no. network.
0: That is a curveball, or whatever. Yeah, uh, maybe like a skyball. What is the equivalent in volleyball?
1: I'm really sure? Okay. Yes, I, I don't know. Some uh, the jet stream changed, if you will. There we go. Okay. Um,
0: so we won't. Yeah. So that,
1: I'm but... not. I'm not quite totally 100 confident in how to say how to watch it yet. But as soon as I do, I'll be sure to tweet something out that you right.
0: know. I appreciate the people it. here, no problem. Because nobody wants to watch like crappy Pac-12 football Saturday. Yeah, night. it was. Please. I think
1: it's like Washington's. Eastern Washington versus some, uh, Northern Arizona or something going on there. I don't know. That I don't Arizona know how that's Pac-12. I'm not sure how it's Pac-12 related, but yeah, the um, sure. Creighton, Creighton USC got bumped from the national network. So. Okay.
0: Well, that's not great. Uh, tomorrow night though, uh, there's a little channel uh, on, on your television. It's called ESPN. Uh, they've been around a little while, but they've started and now bring about, I don't know what, about a, 17,000 different sporting events to their Watch ESPN app um, and the Blue Jays men's soccer team will take place uh, will, will take on Clemson uh, tomorrow night, 6 o'clock central first opening kick uh, and that will be on the Watch ESPN app so Blue Jays fans will have access to watch that this is all part of our What's on Tap segment where we close out the show taking a quick glance at what Blue Jay athletics are taking place both on the hilltop and on the road Um, And you alluded to, Matt, uh, Kansas State Wildcats women's soccer coming to town. Morrison Stadium Friday night will not be empty. Ross Pauly's team will take on the Wildcats. I know you spent a little bit of time down there this week after last weekend's uh, matches. What's the mood, what's the atmosphere like with Ross Pauly's team heading into this weekend?
1: Well, I don't think they... Um, you know, once again, I, I don't know if I've touched on this before on the podcast, but I certainly talked about it a lot in other areas. Uh for some reason that Sunday turnaround game, you know, just is not is not one that they've they've performed well in in these last two years for sure. So I think that's a big area um that is drawing attention to the coaching staff and the players. Um, You know, obviously Sunday matches are difficult for all teams involved, especially when you have, you know, Creighton played a late Friday match against UNO. It was a rivalry match. Um, And for some reason uh, they played the second game while the men played first. So, it was a late it was a late match it was you know there was a lot of energy involved and you know Creighton kind of came out a little flat against uh, Iowa State in the early Sunday afternoon match and kind of paid for it so um, figuring out the Sunday turnaround will be something that they'll have to address going forward so I'm curious to see how that goes this week especially because road game yes they have Friday home match against Kansas State then they travel Saturday to go to South Dakota State who's always a tough side for them, beat them last year at Morrison Stadium on one of those Sunday afternoons where they just didn't play very well. Um, so I'm very curious to see how they do up in Brookings after the Friday turnaround. But um, as far as what's directly in front of them, the Kansas State match, uh, Kansas State's in their first year as a soccer program. Um, so I think they're off to a 1-2-1 and one start, I believe. I think they beat Oakland 6 to nothing. so... I'm sure Oakland's terrible and uh and then and then I think they they I think one of their losses I'm sure of is Central Michigan. I think they, they lost two to nothing to Central Michigan. Okay. It was a pretty good side, a pretty comparable side. They've had some pretty competitive matches with Creighton. I think the Blue Jays beat them one-nothing on an own goal a couple of years ago at Morrison Stadium, so
0: That's a very Creighton Kansas State type of soccer ending, like a K-State own goal. <laughs> I feel like that at least from years past that 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 feels very uh, Creighton-Kansas State soccer to me. but
1: For sure. So, yeah, I'm curious to see what Kansas State looks like as far as their first year as a program. Obviously, you know, they're in the Big 12. They're in a power conference, um, a good soccer conference. So not a great one, I'll, I'll admit that. I think, you know, they don't think they have any national title contenders in that conference compared to some of the coastal, um, coastal conferences. But um, it will be an interesting test for... Um, Creighton, and then, like I said, the travel day going up to South Dakota
0: State, going out to
1: Brookings, um, will be interesting to see how they handle that Sunday turnaround that they've struggled with lately.
0: Sure. So that women's soccer match tomorrow night, Friday night, will depend on when you're listening to this, right? I guess these need to be evergreen, so maybe the what's <laughs> on tap's not super important here, but helps me get my mind straight for Blue Jay Athletics coming up over the weekend and stretching into next week. So I'm going to do it anyway because it's my podcast and uh, we're calling the shots here. So Kansas State, Friday night, Morrison Stadium, women's volleyball takes place at about the same time against Northern Iowa, Old Valley Foe, out in L.A. Men's soccer at 6 o'clock to start off the night's action. They'll be on that Watch ESPN app uh, against number two, Clemson. Uh, Saturday, volleyball in play. 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Central Time against Kentucky. And then the night cap out there, 10 p.m. Central Time against USC in L.A. Sunday, like you mentioned, women's soccer on the road at South Dakota State, 1 o'clock kick. And then Monday night, as we heard Coach Bolovich talk about, and we alluded to a little bit more, men's soccer, uh, barring any rain, barring any weather, Right. We, know the, uh, we know the opponent will be in town, has no excuses, so they'll have the Blue Jays soccer uh, season open, regular season and home opener against UNO Monday at 7 o'clock on Labor Day. So I'm sure the crowd will be big for that one, and it's uh, shaping up to be a pretty challenging weekend for all of the Blue Jays' programs in action. And next week sometime – uh, we will have a recap of everything that takes place this weekend and stretches into next week. We hope to get Matt back on the podcast. I'm sure you'll be uh, spending lots of quality time down on the hilltop in the various wonderful facilities that Coach Rasmussen has helped this school build over the last couple of years. And yeah, I made, I made
1: sure to when they built the championship center to you know build me a little nook in the one of the utility closets. So. I I mean, I almost, I practically live down
0: there. I've been in there and I know that they have more televisions than like a Best Buy. So I feel like if you found the right spot, you could pretty much hang out, entertain yourself for a good two days. Right. I mean, the couches are comfortable. It's a very home,
1: very homey place. Yeah. There's, you know, (laughs) snacks, there's drinks, there's TVs. Yeah. There's, you know, I'm not bored down there.
0: There you go. And I'm sure you won't be next week as you bring us some more great interviews tonight. Again, Coach McDermott. Coach Booth and Coach Bolovich on the podcast. We appreciate them taking the time out. We appreciate Matt's time and Matt's expertise to get down there and talk to them. We appreciate all of you guys listening at home or wherever you're listening to us. Um, you know, give us feedback, send us information. Obviously white and com is where we do everything. But from there, all of our social uh, accounts are linked. You'll find us pretty active. Matt, obviously super active on Twitter, uh, in and out of game days and following the Blue Jays as they try to make everybody in Omaha and Jays fans all around the nation and the world happy on the uh, on the fields of play. Matt, anything else to add before we cut this bad boy off at just over an hour long?
1: Uh, I will. I do want to give one shout-out to the little guy, uh, little James Ott, Bryant's, uh, Bryant's heir apparent for testing the... <laughs> For testing the equipment before this third podcast, before this third time's a charm run through and getting it all, ironing out all the kinks for us. So I'll Mm -hmm. give him a shout out. That way it doesn't seem like you're trying to prop up your own son. I'll do it for you. And
0: and I'll I'll use the opportunity for you giving him a shout out to post that photo inside the the article that we'll embed this podcast in. Because it was, uh, how do I say this? Uh, Freaking adorable. And... (laughs) um, What's exciting for me is, and this is going to probably sound like a a torturing parent moment, but uh, James and I actually drove down to Morrison Monday night. He came out of school, and the first thing he asked Monday afternoon was, can we go to the soccer match? And I said, of course. Um, Anytime you want to go to any Creighton event, I'm going to take you down there. We're going to try to get in. So we pull up five minutes, ten minutes before the match is supposed to start, timed it perfectly, and all of a sudden we see everybody leaving. Morrison and I immediately start to, you know, text Matt or text Rob Anderson and and see what the deal is so I don't have to, like, put in my 75 uh, cents for the meter or get his hopes up. But he bounds out of the car, runs up to Morrison. Everybody's leaving. And then we hear over the PA that, you know, weather delay, a lightning delay. And I didn't think anything of it. I mean, you can usually bribe a five year old with any shiny object or any tasty treat. And the <laughs> kid just starts losing it. I mean, bawling, sobbing, crying. Partially, I'm sure he was short a nap in the afternoon. But I mean, this boy just loves Creighton athletics. He loves seeing his friends at these matches. He loves, I mean, you can just already see that pride that he has from going to baseball games, soccer games, volleyball matches. Obviously, The basketball games that we've taken him to over the years but um yeah it did warm my heart a little bit tonight because we listen to music every night when we get home from school and and to have him throw on the headphones and hear his own voice on the microphone and then record it play it back for him in the headphones i mean you would have thought that you know prince came back from the dead and was uh recording some some groundbreaking new music because his eyes just lit up like like nothing I've seen, so very exciting.
1: I appreciate it. Oh, well, I do want to say about the photo too is while you were a sobbing little baby in the background, he was handling it like a professional. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, yeah, despite his excitement, he had some composure involved here. So he he, he knew the job he had to accomplish.
0: Yeah, and, and, I'm and just, he got done. I was Lord just,
1: willing. This is our this is going to be our best podcast yet. So. I, I
0: think so. I mean, as long as this was recording, I'm going to be pretty happy. But uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, he was. He looked very, uh, he's very prideful in what he does. So that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, of course, the first thing I did was send you the picture and start blabbing on like the the proud father I am. So uh, speaking of blabbing on, I'm going to stop talking. Matt, I've used up too much of your time tonight. But again, buddy, really appreciate you being on and getting us really started here, finding our sea legs and uh, putting up a good Blue Jays Bites podcast tonight. For Matt DeMoranis, I'm Bryant Ott. Thank you for following White and Blue Review. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and go Jays.